Exodus chapter 13. We have read about the Passover, the very important first feast that the Lord gave to the Israelites through Moses. And they may observe the very first feast to commemorate the deliverance in the Exodus, the deliverance from bondage, and that redemption included blood. Every one of these things, just as Genesis was the treatise, if we will, that captures the origin of the universe and the origin of mankind, the origin of the institution of marriage, the origin of the peoples of the earth, the origin of various trades, so many things, the origin of the nations, the origin of Israel through the patriarchs. Exodus has the clearer, more telling origin of the divine redemption that God would bring, not just to Israel, but to mankind. See how important blood is for the redemption of the people of God. The first Passover lamb or goat, that blood that was dabbed upon lintels, posts of the doors, represents is a foreshadow of the holy blood of the sinless Lamb of God that's supposed to be on the doors, the doorposts of our hearts. Unto him who loved us and washed us in his own blood, it's written in Revelation. The eternal Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. All this points to that. And with this Passover, there's a definite redemption that happened. It was not merely a feast to commemorate something that was symbolic or something that required imagination. They were living it. They were living the reality of death. Coming so close to them, but God delivered them. They became God's people. And today we'll see that the covenant comes more into focus, including the consecration of the firstborn of man and beast to the Lord. God systematically reveals himself and he reveals the terms of the covenant, the relationship between God and the Israelites, God and man. There are terms. This religion, if we can call it religion, in the right sense of the word, man seeking God, the living God, true religion, if you will, is a relationship with terms by way of a covenant. God gives the law 
shortly, as we'll see when the Israelites cross the Red Sea. They come into the wilderness and they make it to Sinai. God begins to speak more explicitly about these terms involving the commandments of God. What they're expected to do. How clearly God communicates that. There's no mistaking when somebody hears the true gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When someone reads the Bible, there's no wandering or wondering as to who this God is and what I'm supposed to do, as you find in many so-called religions. And even when you find structure, so to speak, in other religions, you don't find a heart of love behind the truth of the covenant and the terms of the covenant. God is so good. He's so wonderful. He's so awesome. He's so beautiful. Exodus chapter 13. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. He just delivered them. With the deliverance, God shows that his people is set apart from self. They are made holy or sanctified in that sense. They've been set apart. Holiness carries with it a twofold meaning. One is being set apart for a particular use for God's purposes. Set apart for God. Consecrated. It also means to be purified by God and a purification that involves man's responsibility to keep himself pure before God. The children of Israel, particularly with Moses, they were told that God is holy. They understood through his power and through his commandments, through his judgments, that he's a holy God. He is completely pure and everything he does is right. He's awesome. And they're learning now, as believers do, more and more through the word of God, what this holiness means, what they're supposed to do, knowing about God's holiness, knowing how God makes them holy, and how to keep themselves holy in God's love. He redeems them. He delivers them, just like in our Christian experience of becoming born again. There's a justification on what merit? Not on the people's merit. By God's grace, His love. He initiates it. He carries it out. He came and found this when we were dead in trespasses and sins. He came and he rescued us who were lost. He came looking for us. That's why we're alive today, spiritually and physically. Hallelujah. We were blind. We could not see and he gave us sight. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin hath left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Hallelujah. Through the blood them who have purified themselves through the blood of the Lamb. 
written in Revelation. They've made their garments white through blood. How does something red make something white? Spiritually, something dirty can be cleansed as no launderer on earth can cleanse it. As it's written in the prophets. The blood of Jesus is able to accomplish that. With the means of this blood, when we see the very first education of the Israelites, they were set apart to be passed over when death struck. It took blood to sanctify them, to set them apart, to be kept and preserved. It took blood. God explaining more and more as Israelites grew in relationship with him. And as we read the word of God more and more carefully, we understand the depth of what God is saying with everything he does. Not necessarily a hidden meaning. God doesn't mean to hide things from us. But it takes some searching, and rightly so, because... is a God who reveals himself to the people who are sincere more and more of his fullness. He redeems them and he says, now, you've seen what I've done for you. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. 1 Corinthians six eighteen to 20. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Don't you know you're bought with a price? He speaks of the Israelites and he says, I've bought you to myself. Not only did I have I brought you to myself, not only did I bring you to myself, but I have bought you to myself. I purchased you. You're my redeemed possession. A mirror of what God has done for each and every one of us. We've come from many different backgrounds. Not only many different races and ethnicities, but we come from many different experiences, but all under bondage. And God came to redeem all of us. He has purchased us with blood. We know it's the blood of his holy son. But these things, this blood here, the very first institution of Passover, shows that blood was required to cover them. They were covered by this blood so that when the angel of death came, the Lord did not permit the angel of death to strike the firstborn of the Israelites as he did. Every Egyptian and he calls them to consecrate the firstborn. There will be a feast of first fruits eventually. But there's something about the first, the first day of the week, as we'll see instituted during the time of the apostles, to commemorate, to remember, to celebrate, to worship on the very day of the first fruits, the resurrection of Christ, the first fruit. And even that's explained in the New Testament. Christ, the first fruits of all of us, will be redeemed and resurrected. 
someone can read a piece of literature. And I remember in high school, the opening line that we were given to write about literature, both in class, classroom assignments, as well as on the exams. And it would begin something like this. As in literature, so in life. Something from literature, and it was fictitious, but it would have a moral to it, usually. It was something we can derive from a fictitious piece of work of some human imagination. To learn a moral or a lesson that we can apply to life, to see something mirrored from real life in that imaginary story. But here, there's no story of fiction. This is absolute reality. And the reality that we can perceive, we can feel, we can touch, we can partake of, to reflect the eternal reality of who God is and what He's up to. Hallelujah. The eternal plan of God and how we fit into it with this sanctification as they were set apart by the blood on Passover night. They were spared from death. And when he brings them out of that, in that selfsame day, it says in the previous chapter, he brought the whole host of Israel out. God saw at just the right time. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He purchased us and redeemed us and brought us out of prison from death row, as it were, just at the right time. Just when the enemy thought the execution can proceed, God came and pardoned us, but it took his blood. And he says, now that I've done this for you, you belong to me. And that's typified by the consecration of the firstborn. First day of the week, first hour of the day, first fruits of our paycheck, of all that we possess. And here we see all of that symbolized by the first fruit of the body. Because God spared that very firstborn. He said, now this is going to symbolize your dedication to me, your consecration as a people to me. And the way it was done, we'll read... God didn't ask them to sacrifice the firstborn. But he called them to consecrate the firstborn. Which God took as a sacrifice. And he showed them how to redeem that firstborn. How to bring a substitute for the consecration. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel. Both of men and beast, it is mine. The description of the feast that was associated with Passover, sometimes spoken of as one and the same, but is a distinction. The first day was Passover. On this particular day of the first month that God created in the calendar for the Israelites. And in the next seven days constituted a week where they would have this unleavened bread. We spoke about that. Yeast-free bread, bread, that is. Yeast-free life, consecration. 
without sin, without malice, holy unto the Lord. They had these feasts, and every feast helped them to understand the covenant that God made with them and the covenant that they were responsible for on their end to keep those terms. That's how God kept the relationship going. Because He's holy. It's not some casual relationships, casual friendship, an acquaintance with some obscure deity somewhere. And we're going to do the best we can to try to appease Him or please Him. It's the living God. He speaks exactly all that we need to know. There's no mystery in that. He's a God who speaks because He's a God who loves. He explains everything very clearly they were responsible for. When man is trying and people try to delve into the mysteries of God and they look at the creation of God, we can spend a lifetime and they never exhaust even scratching the surface. As we heard the song, God of wonders, God of majesty, you are holy. But to do all of that and to try to discover the things that are hidden, mysterious, the deeper things of the creation. Try to go into understanding God's nature more than what is revealed and begin to speculate. Spend a lifetime comparing religions and trying to unify them. That's a satanic twist and bent, just as one would try to unify people on the basis of, quote-unquote, common good. As emphasized in that video that I posted regarding the utter deception of this counterfeit pseudo-Christian Catholicism. The Tower of Babel was built on such a construct to try to unify people for a common good. But where is the Christ? Conspicuously absent. Where's the one that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, apart from me? You can't come to the Father. As I also shared very recently, the Lord said, you seek to kill me, a man who told you the truth. What was that truth? It was an exclusive way to God. That's what got him into trouble. That's what got Paul into trouble, all the people. They would not yield to this satanic counterfeit unification of the world and religions and the camaraderie among, among humankind, mankind. It would not require a total, absolute surrender at the foot of the cross to the Savior who gave his blood to redeem mankind. No, they want Christ plus this and plus that or subtract from the gospel. Even though in the book of Revelation there's a very serious warning for anyone who would take away from the words of the revelation of God in Scripture. God would take that person's name out of the book of life. Very clearly set forth. And anyone who would add to what God has spoken, God would add to him the plagues written in that book. And yet people feel they can do whatever they want with God and Christianity it's another favorite hobby and pastime. It's another means to a diabolical end to feed me, my ego, my impulses, my flesh, 
then when the person finds himself or herself in hell, there's no wondering. I was the fool that I can fool God, make my own religion. Jesus Christ speaks very clearly. He says, with blood I redeemed you. My own blood. I expect total consecration from you. Not to do your will, but to do my will. Not to mix up under the guise of piety. Try to seek out the hidden, quote-unquote, mysteries of creation and the nature of God and the correlation between religions and how to make everybody waste their time and waste their lives and be self-deceived instead of obeying the truth a person can spend a lifetime engaging in studying the creation of God without ever obeying the clear commandments of God which are life of making many books there's no end it says in the Ecclesiastes a person can keep on studying and keep on collecting things and trying to tap into even the esoteric so-called hidden things. Never obey the plain commandment of Christ to deny himself or herself, take up the cross, which is connected to the truth, as it is in Jesus, plus nothing, minus nothing, and simply follow him. under the guise of humility, under the guise of wanting to help mankind, ignore the clear command to do what? As we read in Exodus 13. Consecrate yourself. Are you pure? Are you holy? Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. So what's the use of doing anything and everything, including manipulating the Word of God or some personal agenda, utter foolishness, with the feast of unleavened bread? God explains what it is what it signifies. And Moses said to the people, verse 3 of Exodus 13, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by strength of hand, the Lord brought you out of this place. God who did it. Aren't you thankful to him? How do you show that thankfulness? By honoring the Lord. Doing exactly what he said. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day, you are going out in the month Abib. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites which he swore to your fathers to give you, land flowing with milk and honey. You shall keep the service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. God says, don't forget where I took you from. Someone said, give a man or woman a little bit of power. Give them a little bit of authority. See how they handle it. Often you see the person's true colors when they're given authority over other people. All of a sudden you see 
a monster come out of unjust, unfair treatment, despising, belittling, prejudice, and all such things can come out. Similarly, give a person freedom from some bondage. You quickly see what that person is made up of. Whereas there should be a gratefulness which causes a person to be humble, open to being taught by the Holy Spirit, by the very God who delivered them. No one else but God. No one could but God. The healing that God has given, multi-level healing that only Christ can give. How do we show our gratitude to Only one of the ten lepers came back to give thanks to God. He fell down. He worshipped God. There's a transformation. He came and he understood. I had to do something. God just spared my firstborn. I had to consecrate. Just like he said. It's right to do that. It's right. Present yourselves your body is a living sacrifice. It is your reasonable act of worship. It's reasonable. Who redeemed me? Who redeemed you? Who bought us with his own blood? Brought us out of bondage, the cruel bondage and tyranny of the devil. We were out of our minds, were we not? Someone says, I was not out of my mind. Maybe you were. I know I was a sinner, but I had a job. I wore nice clothing. I kept my appointments. I was responsible. I had everything in order. Everything was organized. I was uh, pretty much in control except for this little problem I had. Now we were completely sold out for Satan. No matter how cultured we may have looked, may have wanted to look, God saw all of our righteousness with filthy rags. Desperate straits. We needed a savior to come. Bind the strong man who held us to set us free. Coming out with that freedom. Who rescued me? I'm forever grateful to him. As we mentioned on a certain Thanksgiving and repeated the message in the men's group some time ago. The person that's pardoned from death row, from execution, just minutes away perhaps, seconds away, receiving the pardon from the governor delivered to the warden, to the executioner, set free in the nick of time. Wouldn't that person be expected to find out who was that individual that effected that pardon and be forever grateful? How much more to the governor of the universe, the God who pardoned us? How much more we should consecrate ourselves to have the fear of God and say, I've been set free for a reason so that I can give myself over to God by consecrating myself, my spirit, my soul, 
my body. And inasmuch as the spirit and soul is often interchanged, you conclude the mind, the total person, the will, the seat of the emotions, every decision-making capacity within us, in our very bodies. What does it mean to be sold out for Jesus? It means to consecrate ourselves. The firstborn was consecrated as a picture and symbol of the total consecration God required. In other words, he redeemed their firstborn, now he expected them to do what? To give the firstborn to God. It's only reasonable. He rescued them. As someone said, Christ owns me twice. Once because he made me, he owns me. Second, because he died for me to redeem me from my own sins. They were called to give to God simply what belongs to God. We are called to give to God a reasonable service. That's why the Bible says, don't you know you are not your own? You were bought with a price. Therefore, your mission, your focus daily is to Offer yourself up. It's a one-time thing at the foot of the cross and a daily thing to deny myself by giving myself over to God's will. Take up my cross and follow Him. Isn't it very clear in Scripture? And people write books under the guise of so-called theology, fill libraries, writing and going into vain semantics mixing up vain philosophies, studying religion, never attaining the relationship, simple relationship with a simple covenant, a profound but simple covenant. The simplicity that's in Christ. There's no one who can claim to have a relationship with God who doesn't have real love and the love that is holy, that purifies that person first and foremost. But we have many people extending hands to help who? Others. The less fortunate. And the hands that are going to help them, God sees filled with filth. And he said, what's the use? You're trying to offer something to the world, and worse, before me, with filthy hands and filthy hearts? Who are you fooling? Know ye not that I'm a holy God? Don't you know? The Israelites were taught this from the very beginning. The Feast of Unleavened Bread. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going out in the month Abib. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you. I have great plans for your land flowing with milk and honey. Remember what I told you to do. You should keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days. 
So immediately following the Passover Eve, Passover night, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. We explained the natural reason they simply didn't have time to cause that dough to rise with the fermentation, if you will, that happens from the leaven or the yeast. But it had a spiritual significance. When you come to follow God and God's plan, you got to leave that which is defiling, symbolized by this leaven and yeast. He said, nowhere in your house is to be found. It may be seven days of unleavened bread, but that seven represents the totality and completion. In the life, everything is a foreshadow and shadow, a type of the reality of the antitype. If we read the scriptures with the assistance of the Holy Spirit, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, we begin to understand exactly who God is and what He requires of us and what He's planning to do for us. With all that He prescribed, the God who doesn't change, who is the same yesterday, today and forever, it's written in the book of Ephesians that in the ages to come He may display and lavish His Riches upon his children. What a plan. It's not a legalistic system to keep us in bondage, to have vain tradition and ritualism and all these things that can lead to so-called spiritualism. And people say I'm spiritual. I mean, I'm not a Christian. I don't necessarily believe in Christ the way you do, but I'm spiritual. Well, if it lands you in hell, it's useless and worse than useless. Something that brings torment to your soul. But that's what the enemy does. He presents things that are not the truth, but a perversion of the truth and a twist of the truth. He takes things away from the truth and adds something. He rolls it all up, makes it very palatable, makes the person swallow the poison of some self-deceived way that they think is right. Jesus said, I am the way. Philip said, Lord, it's enough. We've seen a whole lot. Can you just show us the Father? So, Philip, how long have I been with you? And you don't understand? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In Hebrews chapter 1 and in Colossians is written, He is the brightness, the express image of the invisible God. He reveals himself, and when he speaks through this logos, through the word, his last ultimate message through the Son of God, as we read in Hebrews not too long ago, after all the prophets, even this law that we read about, everything pointing to the simplicity that's in Christ, which is, he shed his blood, not just to redeem me, but so that I can be consecrated to him, remember what he told me to do, when he brings me out of bondage, when I enjoy life. How many of us are in a state today by the sheer mercies of God? To not be out of our minds, not to be controlled by some disease, restricted, made a fool by the cruelty of the devil in various ways, bound up with addiction. Who has done all this? Was it self-achievement? Mind over matter? 
It's the grace and mercy of the living God who saved us out of his own goodness, of his own heart. And he said, now you belong to me. But there's a freedom in that. There's a royalty in that. To know I belong to God. I belong in the family of God. I'm consecrated to my Savior. No no leaven that is, no malice should be seen in my life. No wickedness. Because he redeemed me. He says, you've been rescued from death and given new life. Don't go back to the deadness of that old life. And you shall tell your son in that day, saying, this is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. How many people are shy, satanic shyness to tell? They'll talk about everything, the ball game, they talk about mathematics and life and planning for savings and how to have interpersonal skills and get along in society, how to make a profit, how to enjoy the quote-unquote finer things of life, how to cook and clean and how to paint and appreciate art and nature, a whole lot of stuff, much ado about nothing. Ignore the vitality, the vital, real stuff of life, which is the redemption story on Calvary's Hill, our own redemption story from the blood that flowed from Calvary's cross through Jesus Christ. To tell the children the reason daddy's alive and mommy's alive by the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not going into a whole bunch of details. Not everything's suitable. There's a time and a place. But to give that passionate, humbling conveyance of who's the Lord of my life and why. This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. I was in bondage to sin. I was a stranger to God. I had wrath hanging over me. Look at the scriptures. To tell the children, Jesus came. He rescued me on such and such a day. And He wants to rescue you. God sees right through to the heart. He knows. Everything is defiled about a human being until he or she comes to the foot of the cross and gets washed by the blood that flowed from Jesus Christ. It shall be a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth, his word, his truth. For with a strong or outstretched hand, powerful arm, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt didn't happen by God saying, here Moses, will you take this contract to Pharaoh, knock on his door, wait in the secretary's office there. When you go and say, thus says the Lord, uh, just like the common treaties of the day, Pharaoh, sign on the dotted line here, and this is what we'll do for you, but we need to get out of this place. 
And if he refuses, tell everybody to get on their faces and keep crying to God. And uh, one of these days, old Pharaoh will surely change his mind. He came and he struck that river that they worshipped and the gods that they had over that river instantly turned to blood. The fish died instantly. And he reversed it instantly when God said so. He came and brought up frogs everywhere instantly. There, Scientists Bioscientists, all kinds of things I've read. A natural explanation how one plague can lead to another through sudden changes such as the tadpoles metamorphosizing suddenly into full adult frogs because of the tremendous stress that can come upon them. They say we've observed this in nature. How foolish! To think that millions and millions of frogs can suddenly appear through some stress that wasn't divinely orchestrated. Whatever explanation man can give, has it ever happened before? And could it be removed like that? How do you explain the removal of them? Did they de-stress all of a sudden and die? As someone said, and I repeat, the Red Sea was no miracle. When I look at that geography there and what I can see today, someone may protest, some fool. As the Bible says, the fool has said there's no God. Psalm 53. There's no miracle. There's no exodus. Look, I can prove it to you. You know what the Red Sea is? The Sea of Reeds here. It's no more than two feet shallow. You're telling me 600,000 men and women and children besides cross that. It's no miracle. Anybody can cross two feet of water. As someone said, I suppose the greater miracle is that the entire superpower of the day, the Egyptians with all the chariots and horses, they drowned in that two feet of water. Because these Hebrew people were set free suddenly. They came out from under an iron hand suddenly. What happened to all those people? They perished just like in Hezekiah's day. 185,000 troops of the Assyrian army perished overnight because an angel struck them. We're going to see the drama. The real life drama how God effected this deliverance, not only symbolically, but in reality through the sparing of the firstborn, they heard wailing on all of Egypt, coast to coast, if you will. People having their dead firstborns right there. Suddenly. But they were spared. They saw it. And Moses was used, along with Aaron, up to a certain point to bring such wonders in this land of Ham, as it's called. The land of Egypt. Never has been seen before. That's why it says with an outstretched arm. 
When God rescued you and rescued me from the devil's clutches, it wasn't through some speech that persuaded the devil. God came and tied him up. He broke his power and broke his chain so we can be free. Hallelujah. God says, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Took the blood of my son. Now you belong to me. There's freedom. There's a joy. We're royalty. He says, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A special treasure to me that you should show forth the praises of him. Who did what? Took you out of darkness, brought you into marvelous light, took you out of death and gave you life, redeemed you from the curse. What do you do when you come out of jail? When you know that you are seconds away from death row? Some human being with some authority came and rescued you. You had nothing you can do. Nothing. Far greater scale. God did that for us. Can I afford to come out and be a fool and get back into prison? So God would warn the Israelites time and time again. Remember, I'm the Lord who brought you out of bondage. What are you doing? Living like the heathen. What are you doing? Living for yourself. As if you're a God. What are you doing trying to manipulate me and my word? To get your own selfish, wicked ends met. Have, have you no fear of God? Don't you know this is the reason I overthrew all those Canaanites? Nations I overthrew within the land of Canaan. Because of the disgusting, filthy way they lived. The murder and the violence. He said, separate yourself from all that stuff. I didn't redeem you so you can be in bondage again. Fear me. Follow me. Love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Truly love your neighbor as you love yourself. And that love is based on truth. As I mentioned about BTK, a murderer. One of the most grotesque stories in the history of this country. Of course, there are many multiplied thousands like that. You can find it in any nation, but since we live here, you can never escape that. Not too long in the past history of the United States. A man who is a religious figure, prominent member of his church for many years, I believe he was in his 60s, went cold-blooded murder, led by the devil, no doubt. Just go show up at people's houses and murder, sometimes the whole family. And cover it up until a certain time when he's found out. And go to church and be the deacon or whatever position he had, elder. Satan living in that man. And he had a pastor that made the news. He said, I'm going to go visit that man. He's so lonely. He said, how could you go visit this man who premeditated, this wicked, cruel man who killed innocent people, families and children, and then went so horrible monstrosity of a man went to church as if he did nothing as the adulterer depicted in the book of Proverbs who does the damage and the wickedness and eats and wipes her mouth as if nothing happened and this pastor said I'm going to go and i got to minister to him they said why on earth would you do this what is this Oh, well, he needs grace too. 
We're all sinners, and that's why I have to visit him. I want to make a statement. And nobody's beyond the reach of Christ. Absolutely unbiblical. As we're seeing, as we've seen over and over in the scriptures. Absalom came to a point of no return. Ahithophel came to a point of no return. Saul came to a point of no return. Judas came to a point of no return. Many, many people. They were breathing, but they could not be helped. God said, leave them alone. They've chosen to wholeheartedly serve the devil. Just like the Canaanites, he said, leave them alone. They've passed the point of grace. You need to know what spirit is driving so-called love and feelings for cold-blooded murderers, murderers who repeatedly do that and repeatedly defy God and spit on Christ's face to go and say, I want to show them mercy and love them. I, want to, I think I understand them because the devil wants to take you to hell also. We're saved not to do our own thing, but to carefully follow exactly what the Holy Spirit teaches, what God says in His Word. The Bible says in the New Testament, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, the truth that you profess to know. Watch your own life, every action, every feeling, every thought. Make sure it's conformed to what? The truth of God, the revelation of God. The holiness of God. The leading of the Holy Spirit, not your own spirit. With the religious flavor. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof, the way of death. Warning in Proverbs. A person may think this, this is so right. How can it be so wrong when it feels so right? How do you explain that, Pastor? When it feels so right. I can give you a lot of reasons why this may be right to do. Why I should venture out into a far country and waste my inheritance. It feels so right. The time is right. Sodom and Gomorrah looks very enticing, very profitable. I'm just going to live there for a little bit, make my profit and get out. I'm not going to mix with the people. Oh, but we can't go and live next door to sin without sin coming over for dinner sometime. God says get far away from that. Get rid of this leaven. Don't have anything to do with it. And remember to let your children know how to keep themselves away from leaven. And you should tell your son in that day, verse 8, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be as a sign to you on your hand, and as a memorial between your eyes, that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. The Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that openeth the womb. That is, every firstborn that comes from an animal, which you have, the male shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. 
what was valuable was allowed to be redeemed. So it shall be when your ask, uh, your son asks in time to come, saying, "What is this that you shall say to him?" By the strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Why are you doing this? What's all this about? It's not that the church told me to do it. Some man sitting in some religious empire told me to do it. God said it. Where do you find that? In Exodus chapter 13. God said to do it. That's our reference point. The word of God says this. God's very word. From his mouth it came. That's why we do what we do. No, because it's our culture, our tradition, our people. None of that matters to God if it goes against his truth. That's why Jesus said, you are nullifying the word of God with your vain traditions. He told the Pharisees, and today we have Pharisees, various places, various religions. Bringing in things, incense and smoke, in the whole show. Where Satan is behind that so-called pseudo-Christian drama. Good peace and goodwill to men. Mine is Christ. If you have Christ, it's our version of Christ. Not the Bible Christ. God says beware. You're in or you're out. Make your decision. How many people are told repeatedly that God says, set apart the first part of your paycheck. Give it to the Lord. It reveals really the nature of the person where God says, you're robbing me. So explicitly he says in Malachi. The God who gave everything is hard for a person to say, oh, 10%, well, let me get my calculator out. Um, Point zero 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 one. God, I've given it all. So exacting, so miserly. And utter defiance. I dare say, if anybody's been hearing the, hearing the truth, it still does not give. That portion that God says belongs to him comes in and throws a dollar or whatever in the pocket or $20 or $30. God have mercy upon you has nothing to do with the pastor of the church or any minister. It's between you and God. You're robbing God. And God forbid if you should give that and say, well, I do give to God. Give it to people in places where the truth is not taught. It's perverted. It's twisted. To have a divided allegiance is to have a wholehearted loyalty to the devil. God says, listen, decide. You're going to be hot or cold. You want to be lukewarm? Have your foot in both places? That day will cleave you in half. You'll be no more. Because you thought. You can have favor with God and share the truth in the truth and also have a part with the false. It's a horrible thing. It's the devil that gives the delusion that I can hear the word of God and I can still play. You can't stop me. You can't tell me where to go, where not to go, what to do, what not to do. As if a man or a woman is dictating that. And we can say, look what God says in the 66 books that he authored 
and the Holy Spirit out there. Now, are you following that? Well, I guess I do in my own way. Again, there's a way that seems right to a person, but the end of it is death. We better make sure we follow God's way. So, Shabby, when your son asks you, you explain to him, God released me, delivered us from the house of bondage. Tell them the details. And it came to pass of what God did. When Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb. doesn't make any sense, Dad. I mean, it's our best flock, and what's all this? Though? You're taking the best, the firstborn, and... I mean, we're just... Look at the assets and the liabilities here. We're just losing because of your religion. I don't believe in that religion. I believe in keeping it all for me and profiting and multiplying it. Who is this God? The Hebrew children were taught from the very beginning exactly who God was. They wouldn't dare question. But when a parent fails a duty and gives a person religion, so long as my son, my daughter is well-to-do, they get a job, they have money, they have a good marriage, I can have some grandchildren, Everybody goes to hell together, happily ever after. Why? Because no total heart surrender to the living Christ and to the Word of God. Total ignorance and willful ignorance at that. Anything God said. Bibles in abundance everywhere. Never sit down and bow before the Lord and say, Lord, what are you saying to me? What am I supposed to do? The men, they were cut to the heart when Peter preached. The book of Acts. Men and brethren, what must we do? What are we supposed to do? We can understand there's a responsibility here, but please show us what's the next step. Thousands were baptized. They gave their hearts to the Lord. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. This is how he showed his power. God doesn't play games. He hasn't changed. He will destroy his enemies. Can we expect anything less from a just God? Because of his great mercy, he waits. And the Bible says, judgment must begin at the house of God. Everyone who calls himself or herself a Christian must understand there's no escape from God's refining fire where he will test the hearts to see you really love me? Show it by obedience to everything I told you to do. If you don't obey me, you don't love me. You're a liar. And he says that in so many ways. Not only in the Gospel of John, but the Epistle of John. All of the Bible. We can know exactly what God's requirement is. 
We can know exactly what he prescribes. Exactly even how to speak to whom and when. And in this case, it's to the children. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb. But all the firstborn of my sons are redeemed. It shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontless between your eyes. For by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. If I understand this law of first fruits and giving the first to God, have you ever dedicated your firstborn to the Lord and said, Lord, even though we're not under the law, it's only right. In fact, we're all first fruits. But in particular, the very first that God gave us of everything. Lord, may my child be for your glory exclusively representative of all my children if we have more than one Lord this first portion of my paycheck to honor you and acknowledge you Lord as a symbol of all my paycheck being used for the glory of God the Lord that I don't waste the money you've given me I don't abuse the grace you've given me Lord from the clothing I wear to the way I conduct myself, the money you give me, Lord God, the pride that came into Lucifer's heart, that caused him to be cast out of heaven, hurled to the earth, let it not be found in me. I don't want this horrible weed called pride to be in me, Lord God, have mercy upon me. Lord, I'm going to be watching. Some people are very careful with their gardens, very neat. And make sure not one weed is there. Number one, for most people, I don't want my neighbors to think I'm lazy or don't know how to garden. Or For other people, it may be a combination of motivations. Not only do I not want people to think I don't know how to take care of my garden, but I want them to think I'm the best gardener in town. Other people, I don't want the other good things that I've planted to be choked by these weeds these pests. Jesus said, you're so interested about cleaning the outside of the cup. So interested. So keen and so diligent. Got to save face and look good. What about your heart? You have plenty of weeds there. The biggest one. The most disturbing one. The most devastating one from which many other weeds follow. This is pride. Some people manifest pride by bursting into tears. Anger, hostility. Throwing tantrums. Turning away, slamming doors. Walking out. It's not only a very clear sign of immaturity but it's a destructive lifestyle which defiles the inside of the cup and works its way to the outside we have to say Lord I'm your servant Lord I'm your child I'm, I'm here to do your will why did Paul say, I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ? What does that mean? To say nice Christian things and Paul goes on and 
takes a cruise on the Mediterranean Sea and says, well, I've got some vacationing to do and I'm going to take a little departure, Lord. Can you switch the structure of the book of Acts? I'm going to be absent for a little while. I'll come back. I'm going to play bingo and I'm going to play this. I'm going to go and gamble. I'm going to go and drink a little bit. It's been a very difficult time in the ministry, Lord. And I just need to unwind a little bit. We can indulge in things that we may not even understand qualify as heinous crimes against God. Someone says, I'm not dumb. I'm not going to take my money and gamble it somewhere. I'm not going to let some man rob me of my money, hard-earned money, because he wants to sell something to me. And yet they rob God and they sell themselves to the devil. How? This wicked weed called pride. These Israelites were shown the majesty of God. We'll see God reveals himself even more on Mount Sinai so that his fear may be upon them. He hasn't changed. If we want to know if we're real Christians, we need to measure, engage, how much fear of the Lord do I really have in my heart? which translate into close attention, paying very close attention to everything God said because I am in awe of Him. I treat Him as God. I'm ready and willing to not only do what He says, but to pass it on to my children. Pass it on to my children. Well, this prescription for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, God will go into it more and more. He's the master communicator. His heart is full of love. He's not there to show his prowess or his ability to bring complex theological thoughts to give an enigma to the people to decipher. He tells them very plainly in plain Hebrew to us plain English whatever language so readily accessible understandable and doable. No wonder he holds people guilty without excuse because that which is revealed of himself to them as is written in Romans 1 they twist and pervert. They know. They choose. They know light has come but they love darkness so that they do the things that are dark. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. He knew their constitution. That is their internal makeup. He knew their capacity. They're not warriors, they're slaves. They see warriors there coming against them. They get scared. They may say, I want to go back to Egypt. Their faith has not developed and God is very gentle and gracious. But you see, the more we're given, the more we'll be held accountable. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, just like we prophesied. Joseph prophesied by the Spirit of God. You're going to carry my bones from this place. It's not my home, Egypt. I was brought here temporarily to help my people. What God saw 
My brother's meant for evil. He turned it for good. Made me a blessing. The devil couldn't stop God's plan. He couldn't stop me. I fear the Lord. But I know what God promised my great-grandfather Abraham. I know what he promised my grandfather Isaac. I know what he promised my dad Jacob. His promise is still good. And we are waiting. I'm not settled. I may be like Pharaoh here, next to Pharaoh. I've got all that I need and all my people are taken care of. But I'm yearning for the promise of God to come to pass. The fullness of the divine eternal promise that he made to my great-grandfather. A believer is called to remember the promises of God and to set his sights and her sights on eternity. Joseph was such a person. That's why what he predicted, what he said by the Spirit of God came true. His very bones, he said, you're going to carry from this place into the promised land. And that's what Moses did. You see God's hand in everything, every part of their history, which shows us in larger scope that he's very involved in human history. No matter how dark it gets, no matter how wicked, no matter who forgets the grace of God and forgets God and forgets the good things God's people have done for the nation, there's a season we're called to hold fast to the truth. If we don't hold fast to the truth, then we can go into the very darkness that our enemies are a part of. God says, don't be a part of that. You stay in the light. Walk in the light. Even when it's difficult, hold fast to the divine principles. Don't compromise the truth. Don't mix in with the crowd to be buddy-buddy with darkness. Stay separate. Take the heat. And you approve yourself, as they say, Metal gets tested, it shows what it's made up of. Every opportunity, somebody said, will present an obstacle. It won't be easy. But every obstacle will present an opportunity. When my faith is tested, that's my finest hour to show. A loyalty to the Lord. I'm going to be faithful to your word, Lord. I'm not going to compromise the truth. That will show what their faith is made up of. Is it really gold? Every opportunity will bring an obstacle. But every obstacle is an opportunity to show our loyalty to the living God, to keep His word. Moses feared the Lord. He remembered by the Spirit of God what Joseph said. He made sure. And we're not leaving here without the bones of Joseph our patriarch. For he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Succoth and camped and eat them at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So as to go by day and night. Not a second was his presence not there. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. How can you cultivate the presence of God? How can you practice the presence of God? How can you know that God is with you? Well, King David says, 
I have always set the Lord before me. I have set the Lord before me. He's always at my right hand. He says, I. I can draw near to God by humbling myself, valuing His Word, being in His Word, meditating on the Scriptures while I'm working, while I'm in leisure. Keep talking to God and thinking about God. God will draw nearer to us. He'll begin to speak to us. But if I just wait and for the emotions and for a better time, I will miss the opportunity. And I'll be living this life without knowing exactly what God's will is. I'll be hearing the word, but it will be like water on a rock, never really get in. But I can say, Lord, I want to cultivate your presence. If you can do this for the Israelites, pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, so graciously, compassionately, what a beautiful, wonderful parent you were, Lord, and are. It's a picture of our lives. No matter what season, God is very near to guide us and give us the next step. For those who would look to Him, who hope in His mercy. What a grand plan God has for us. He says, your royalty, act that way. Don't get involved in foolishness and filthiness of this world. You're holy people. Do you understand what holiness means? The more we read the book of Exodus and the following books of the Bible, particularly Leviticus, we're going to see exactly the depth of God's character and His holiness as revealed in the law what he prescribes, the reality of it, the meaning behind it, and how a person can just completely be in complete favor with God by simply humbling himself or herself to understand the majesty of God and say, Lord my God, I put my hand on my mouth like Job said, I'm not going to argue with God, I'm not going to say anything, who am I? Little puny, minuscule speck, and that too filthy, that God should pay attention to me. What is man that you're mindful of? And then come in his all, his infinite glory to embrace me, to scoop me up from the earth, to wash me from my pollution, to give me new clothing, to put his ornaments, make me dazzling, hold me close to his heart. What am I to do with sin? Any persuasion that's not of God, I will mortify it. It's an enemy speaking and trying to bait me to give up my birthright. I'm not going to allow it. Hallelujah. Everything God says to do is good for me. Simply obey. Even if I don't understand fully now. God calls me just to follow. He's the head and I'm the body. As long as I'm in sync with the head, everything's fine. I'm going to follow Him faithfully. Everything he prescribes, every feast, every ordinance, every law, every statute was designed to bring this people into an instruction to know who this great God is and how they can have intimate communion, not a distant communion, but intimate communion with him. And the picture of the ultimate intimacy through the Lord Jesus who would tore or tear that veil, who tore the veil of separation that was kept there for a season on purpose by God 
where they can fellowship with him, as did Moses himself, Joshua and Caleb, David, Samuel. But then, this new and living way that they all look forward to, they had a taste of it. That it can be plainly revealed in the New Testament, so that we can know much more fully of the plan of God and how He is trustworthy. He can help me with my job today. He can right everything that's wrong. He can do this with Pharaoh's heart and the people of the Egyptians to give up by giving favor to the people of God. He can give me favor today. My God, go before me. I am consecrated to you, Lord. Not just the first fruits, I am your first fruits in Christ Jesus. All of me belongs to you. Lord, I want to see your glory. Help me to prepare myself. As we'll see, as they also consecrate yourselves, I'm going to do a great thing in your life. Deeper, higher, closer. With our God, will cause us to apprehend that for which we were apprehended in Christ. We want nothing less but everything that God has for us. We won't allow anything to derail us from that. Cultivate the fear of God and the friendship of God by keeping His Word. Shall we pray? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. 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 Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Who is like unto you, Lord? I pray that you purge us, Father, thoroughly, Father. Help us to purge ourselves, Lord. Help us to know that you have blessing upon blessing waiting for your children. More than we can ask or imagine. And it never stops. Provided we follow you very carefully. Fear you, Lord. You define the fear of God and the love of God quite simply in our obedience to everything you've spoken. That's all. Blessed be your name, Lord, for giving us your precious word. Jesus, help us to make sure, as we heard yesterday in the Sunday sermon, we are among the few that are the true seekers, not just any seeker. We will find it. This way, stay on this way until we come to be with you face to face. Absolute awe in your absolute glory to be transformed to live with you forever. Thank you, Lord, that the grains of sand that pass through the hourglass of our lives, every one of them is measured by you. Every one of them is an opportunity, every moment, to say, I love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, soul, and strength. There's no one like you, Lord. Now demonstrate your love to people around me by being pure, first of all. Holy, committed to your truth and your revelation, your instructions, precisely doing what you say, not what we feel. Show our loyalty to you. To grow in you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we praise you.
Amen.